Well, y'all braved the, the elements to get here this morning. I hope, it, hope, hope you will find that it will have been worth it. I'm really excited about the passage we get to look at today as I sent out an email letting you all know that we would not be in John 8 today. Instead, we'll be in Jeremiah 18. So if you have Bibles uh, or Bible apps or some other type of electronic device, uh, find your way to Jeremiah 18. If you don't have a Bible, you'd like to follow along, we have guys standing at the ready to pass them out with gigantic smiles uh, to you if you need one. So put your hand up nice and high. The guys in the back will hand you a Bible. And uh, we need one down here, Rob. Jeremiah 18 is where we'll be. Did anybody else, has anybody else eaten too much over the last few days? Oh, man. Terrible. Well, we're going to fill up again today on God's Word. That's good. That's what you can eat a lot of. Let's pray. Father, we are so um, in awe that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us in ways that we can understand. Lord, you are truly unknowable in so many ways, but yet we get glimpses and and shadows and and, and characteristics of you as, as you relate yourself to things we do understand. Lord, we know that there are so many in this world that have created their own gods, that say they believe in God, but it's some God other than you. And Lord, we're thankful that you sent your Son to end all discussion about what you're really like. And we're thankful that you use things that are familiar You communicate on our level because you're so desperate for us to know you and to be known by you. So Lord, I pray that as we study, we would be reminded of some beautiful things about our relationship with you and yours with us. Father, we're thankful for your word in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, it's no secret that uh, as we turn to Jeremiah 18, that uh, New Year's resolutions are something many people make. Matter of fact, statistically, about uh, 50% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. Of those 50% that actually make them, 88% do not keep them. So we all know, we've experienced this ourselves. We know that we have trouble because it's based on us and our willpower, our desire to change and We know a lot of times we fall short in in our ability to change ourselves. So the question is, will we have more resolutions or will we have more revolutions? And I say revolutions not based on a record player. Some of us still remember record players. I was a DJ in high school, believe it or not. Uh, Well acquainted with turntables and vinyl records and all of that. But I'm not speaking of revolutions of a record player. I'm not speaking of government revolutions taking up arms and creating a war. I'm speaking of revolutions in terms of a potter's wheel. A potter's wheel. That's what Jeremiah is sharing with us, an experience he had in the potter's house. The potter's wheel going around and around. The potter uh, working that lump of clay to create something beautiful. Revolutions. This year, here, here we are again. The year has come and gone. We've gone around again, haven't we? And ready to start over again. And, and 
Lord willing, we'll, unless he comes back soon, and we'll all be glad if he does, we'll go around again. And there are these revolutions happening in our lives like a potter, like clay on a wheel. And my question is, what, not what are you going to resolve to do, but what is the potter doing in your life? And that's what we're looking at in Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah, again, one of the Old Testament prophets, he uh, is, is preaching and, and ministering. In the, you know, Israel is divided into two different sections. There's the north and the south. There's Israel and there's Judah in the south. And Jeremiah is in the south, same place Isaiah was, so I think 60 years earlier since Isaiah was, was involved in his ministry. The same problems that Isaiah dealt with are the same problems Jeremiah is dealing with. The, if you look back in Jeremiah, if you can get there quickly, you can just look back in one of the earlier chapters, in chapter 2, I believe it is. He says in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And on and on, Jeremiah goes about the problems with the people that he was ministering to. They had forgotten God. They had rebelled against God. They had rejected God. And this is what Isaiah, or excuse me, this is what Jeremiah is called to uh, minister into, to uh, be God's mouthpiece. That's not an easy job to tell people, hey, listen, you're, you're backsliding. You're far from God. People don't like to hear that. And so they didn't like to hear that from Jeremiah. And he had quite a share of problems because of it. They called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. That's his common nickname. And so it's, it's during this time, uh, they're, they're heading toward being taken captive by Babylon. That's where they're going to end up. And, and Jeremiah 18 is another effort for God to speak to them that it doesn't have to be that way. And so this morning, coming up on a new year, maybe God's word to some of you this morning is, look, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to go the direction you're going. You don't have to be what you are. There are choices, there are options. So let's get into it. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. God has a, uh, a message for Jeremiah. Now, a number of years ago, uh, Helga and I went to the state fair. And that's where I fell in love. I saw the blacksmith at the state fair. And I was just entranced as this man in his leather apron was heating up steel in a coal forge, red hot. He'd pull it out and he'd put it on his, his anvil and he'd start hitting it with a hammer. And then he'd take it and he'd twist it. And then you look at the thing when it's done. It's like, oh, that's beautiful. He made, took this plain, simple piece of steel, useless, unimaginative, and he hammered it and heated it and bent it and twisted it. And then at the end, he, oh, he just created something beautiful out of that. And I was just entranced. And that's what got me interested in that. But that's not why Jeremiah is going to the potter's house. Not to cultivate an interest in pottery for him. But to he's going there to hear God's word. And he's going to hear it louder with a visual attached. I, I look at a butterfly so much differently because I know God's word. And because the butterfly speaks to me loudly of resurrection. That caterpillar makes himself a tomb 
And he climbs into it. And apart from what anybody, no one else can see, he dies. But he's transformed. And out comes a new creation. All the old things are passed away. The caterpillar crawls on the ground and eats leaves. The butterfly has wings. He flies in the air and has a big old sticky-outy tongue that sucks nectar from the flowers. He's a new creation. And I go, oh, God, his word speaks to me so powerfully in those illustrations of resurrection. And God puts those things in the world. When Jesus taught, he was a very visual teacher, which helps me out because I'm a very concrete kind of guy. Are you like me? I don't do well with abstract ideas. I'm just not good at that. I'm a very concrete person. So when Jesus talks about the word of God, it's like a, 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 a farmer went out to sow some seed. And some of it fell on good ground, and some of it fell on, on the pathway, and some of it fell uh, you know, on these, it was choked out by weeds, and it gives all these different illustrations. And it was something they were f- familiar with. It's something that they knew. And here he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah could have said, well, can, I ju- can you just tell me the, your word here in my house, in front of the TV? The football game's on soon. I don't want to have to go anywhere to hear your word. Can I just stay here and hear it? And, and God has appointed one place that you can hear his word, is on Sunday morning together as you gather as a family. Paul told Timothy, hey, preach the word. And we try to do that. I do my best to make sure that happens. So, hey, can you stay home and watch TV? Yeah, you can. You can hear the word of God at home. You can hear it in your car. We have no excuses in our day and age. We can hear the word of God all over the place. But there's some places where God's going to put you. Sometimes it's in traffic. You know, sometimes it's at, in line at the, at the grocery store. And, and you hear God's word. And you oh, that's now I see it differently. And so God sends Jeremiah to this potter's house to hear his word. Because he's got a message to confirm. And I wonder if Jeremiah wasn't, you know, God knows Jeremiah too. I wonder if there weren't some things in Jeremiah's own heart that God was, was speaking to him about. I wonder if Jeremiah wasn't questioning some things about God. As he's ministering to these rebellious people, you know, maybe maybe God was working on something in Jeremiah's heart too. He doesn't talk about that, but let's go on. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. So verse 3, Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So what does the potter do? So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. This is what Jeremiah sees at the potter's house. Verse 5 says, and it was at that time, just as he had finished making that, that collapsed, that ruined vessel, just as he finishes making it into a new vessel, that's when the Lord speaks to him. Verse 5 says, then the word of the Lord came to me. I understood, is maybe how you could say that. O house of Israel... Can I not do with you as this potter? It's like the Lord just spoke to him in his heart, spoke to him in his mind. This is about Israel. This is about nations. This is about people. Can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And let's stop there and we'll talk about what we've just read. But Jeremiah knows this, that there's a comparison being made. there's, There's a relationship being compared. The potter's relationship to the clay is just like 
God's relationship to people. And so let's go back and talk a little bit about what Jeremiah experienced as he went. Anybody ever had a chance to turn clay on a potter's wheel? A few of you had. So you'll understand this maybe a little bit more uh, than some others might. I'll try to do my best to explain and illustrate it. So he goes down to the potter's house. What's the first thing he sees at the potter's house? What's the first thing that draws his attention? And there he was. His first thing that catches his attention is the potter. Not the vessel, but the potter. There he was, the potter, sitting at his wheel, and he's working on something. Does the potter see Jeremiah come in? Does the potter hear Jeremiah come in? We know nothing of any conversation or communication that happened between Jeremiah and the potter. He just kind of strolls in, and the potter is intense. I imagine him being very focused. And he's got his hands dirty and his apron on, and there's water slinging everywhere, and the wheel is turning. And actually, it was wheels. They didn't have electricity back then. Uh, but So they had an upper wheel where the clay would be put, and they had a lower, what's called a kick wheel. And the potter would turn the wheel with his foot, to spin that clay around so he could work it. So the first thing he sees is, hey, there's a potter. And it's interesting in our day and age that a lot of people are questioning whether or not there's a potter. They see a, a bunch of vessels, but we're not sure if there's a potter. Well, Jeremiah learns a very, it's a very simple lesson. And if you're not in the scientific community, you might not know that there are many, many very brilliant scientific minds both Christian and not Christian, that are challenging and questioning uh, Darwinian evolution, as you would call it. Now, I can't get into all of that today, but just know this. When you hear someone so certain that this is the way things happen, people are not so certain anymore. But the scientific community, a part of the scientific community, because the intelligent design community is a, is a part of the scientific community as well, there's a part of the scientific community that is, is dead set on the philosophical... Uh, standpoint that life has to have come about materialistically. They, they, we know it maybe wasn't Darwinian evolution the way we thought it was, but it can't be God, so we're still searching for some other way. That's what they might say now. But throughout the history of, of the world, uh, as, uh, since Christ especially, much of the scientific advancement, guys like Newton and, and many others, has come about because of... See, you'll hear, well, Christian beliefs, religion just impedes science. It inhibits science. We're just backward. People look at you when, when you talk about your belief in God. They look at you like you're from another planet, right? Like, how do you even believe that anymore? Like, nobody believes that. But the greatest scientific minds made the discoveries they made because they did believe that there was a potter. They did believe that there was intelligence and there was a plan. And, and here's a great example. Currently, intelligent design folks looked at the DNA code. Those that believed in God, believed in, in rationality, believed in, in purpose. And they saw all this stuff that the, the, community, the, the genetic community was calling junk DNA. Anybody heard of that? Junk DNA? And they said, well, we don't know what it does. Just like, just like people, right? we don't know what it does, so it must not do anything. Because we don't know what it does. Well, guess what they've discovered? That that junk DNA is actually very important. Plays a, tr a huge role in the expression of genes and whatnot. Now, why did the intelligent design community believe that? Because they believed in a potter who doesn't do things senselessly or randomly. 
They believed that if that DNA is there, it's there for a purpose. And it was because they believed in that that they were right ahead of time, before the, the materialistic scientific community. Does that make sense? So Jeremiah goes down and he says, hey, there's a potter. And not only does the potter exist, but some would say, well, there's a potter. He just kicks the wheel and lets chance happen to the vessels. And there's the potter just kicking the wheel, smoking a cigarette, watching TV, whatever, just kicking back. No. The potter was not distant from his creation. The potter had his hands on the creation. That's what Jeremiah learns. As he sees him, he's making something. Jeremiah doesn't, he doesn't say what it is. He doesn't, the potter didn't bother to tell him what it was. But he's making something at the wheels. So there's a spinning going on. And that's kind of how our lives are. Here we are another year. We've, we've spun around again. And some of you feel like your life is spinning out of control. We all, you know, we're going, things are going round and round in our lives. Israel. 40 years it took them to make an 11-day journey. They went round and round. How long will you keep going around, God would say to them, until you learn the lesson? That's how long you're going to keep going around. And we'll, we'll go round and round on the wheel. Life is, is happening one day at a time, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. We're spinning and going through the motions of our daily lives. It's so cyclical, isn't it? And we're, we're, it's like we're on, the, we're on the wheel. God's got us on the wheel. And he's making something. And what's he making it out of? Obviously, it's made out of clay. Now, clay, that lump of clay has really very little value compared to what it will be when the potter is done with it. But he's got that lump of clay. Now, clay is earth. And we know that God formed man. So clay is oftentimes a picture of people. Uh, so many times the, the example, the illustration of the potter and the clay is used throughout the Bible. Isaiah uses it a number of times. Job talks about it. Jeremiah talks about it. Zechariah talks about it. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses these examples uh, in the book of Romans. So clay, it, it just speaks of us, our humanity. We're vessels. We're, we're made of earth, just like Adam. God formed the first man, Adam, out of the dust of the earth. Matter of fact, I think Jeremiah already knew this. If you just... Bear with me for a second. I'm going to turn back to chapter 1 of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah was called. This is what God said to Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before all this happening, before he was formed, he says, before I formed you. That's the same word for a potter. Same root word. Before I formed you, I knew you. So the potter sits at the wheel. Does the potter just sit at the wheel and go, hmm, let's just, I'm just going to start squeezing and see what happens. No, the potter, if you've done pottery, if you've done anything creative, you know you sit down and you have a plan. You know what you need. And you sit down to make it. When God said, I need a man who will speak for me, he sat down and began to create one. His name was Jeremiah. We said, I need a man who will go and, and take the gospel to the Gentiles. He sat down at the wheel, began to make a man named Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul. When God said, I need someone to carry my son in her womb, 
he sat down to create Mary. It's very purposeful. It's very intentional. This change, look, there are so many kids that are growing up in our world that says there's no potter and there's no purpose. And they know that's not right, but they don't know what the answer is. And so there, there's this sense of hopelessness and purposelessness. When you know there's a potter, when you can look like Jeremy and say, God, you made me for a reason. We get, we get envious of other people's vessels, don't we? Why didn't you make me like that? I look at guys with good hair. Man. I remember hearing a, a guy named Frank Drain. You, you, you've heard of the story of Jim Elliott, who was killed by the Indians in Ecuador. Well, this man, Frank Drain, had been there previously before uh, Jim Elliott uh, went there to minister. We heard him speak at one of the pastor's conferences. Uh, he's real short, and he wanted to play basketball. And he was sharing the story about how he never, he always used to wonder, why did God make him so short? Because he really loved basketball, and he was, you know, he's good at basketball, but he was just too short to really play. And, and so then he, he got saved, became a missionary, and he goes to the jungles of Ecuador. And had he been six foot four or six foot tall, he would never have been able to navigate barefoot running through the jungles with these Indians from Ecuador. And he realized, God, this is why you made me. Now I understand what your plan was. And so part of this, part of what we're going to learn here, and part of what we're learning here is that the clay is, is passive. The clay is yielding. And the resolution about the revolutions of your life is to be yielded to God. To be accepting of His purposes in your life. And we'll come back to that. Let's go on a little bit farther. So he sees the potter and he's, he's making this thing of clay. The wheel is spinning. And something happens. This is where something unusual happens. Something that's not common happens. Verse 4 says, The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter was ruined it happens sometimes when you're making a, a clay vessel sometimes it's the potter's fault because the the potter is inexperienced is that the case here of course not of course not when we read in the bible uh, god presents himself as a parent who's got rebellious kids who's done everything right yet the kids still rebel as, as a vineyard owner who plants a vineyard and does everything he can, everything possible to make sure that his vineyard would have good grapes, but yet they don't yield good grapes. So there's no blame cast here. He doesn't say that the potter marred the clay. It says the clay was marred. And that speaks of us. And, and I know in, in ministry, I get to talk to a lot of people. I look at my own life. I look at you. We, we, we've been marred. We were created in the image of God. And then sin entered the world. And it ruined that image. And I, and I know some of your lives have been marred by things that have been done to you, by things that have been said to you, by habits and patterns that you've developed to cope with, with offenses in your life. And the image you lived or live now is not the image God intended for you. It was marred. Some of you, the image is marred. Again, sin caused us to rebel, to be stiff, to not want God's hand to work us, to reject the potter's hand, as was Israel doing. 
And so whatever the cause uh, was not the potter's, it was some imperfection or some issue with the clay. How's your life been marred? What's going on that's, that's caused you to, to, have, to be uh, wired wrong? Where are those things in your life? Those, the potter, he's squeezing, he's pressing, he's hands-on that clay, trying to make it, trying to, to work with it. But the clay can be really resistant, can it? So he makes this vessel... Oh, one more thing, by the way. As the potter is working that vessel, what else do you have in a, pot, in a potter's wheel? You have a lot of water. And water speaks to us in the Bible of the Word of God. Man, that, that potter, copious amounts of water he's pouring onto that, that vessel as he's working it. And that's one of the keys. That's why we're encouraging you to read the Bible for yourself. That's what keeps you yielded. If that potter didn't use that water, the, the clay would stiffen and dry and he wouldn't be able to work it. The water of the Word helps keep you supple in the hands of the potter. It really does. God's Word helps you and encourages you to yield as God puts pressure. As you're going round and God presses. And where is God putting pressure in your life? Where is God squeezing you? The potter, if you can, if you can imagine this potter, he's so, he's delicate, but he's confident. He's knows, he has to know exactly where to squeeze to create what he's going to create, right? He's got to know exactly where to put that pressure. And he does it in your life. He does it in my life. So this vessel gets marred. But does he throw it away? Does he get a new lump? It says he, he makes it again into another vessel. He starts over with it. This is what God did in my life. This is what God has done in many of your lives. He had to take that vessel, so the vessel just kind of flops around or whatever happens. It's marred, for however it's marred, we're not sure. And Jeremiah is just watching all this, watching the potter's character. And as, that, as the vessel collapses, I imagine Jeremiah goes, oh no, what's he going to do now? And the potter takes that clay and he, and he works it back out, he lumps it back up, centers it again, and begins again. Delicately, gently, making a new vessel. As it seemed good to the clay, as it seemed good to... Now, he doesn't take the time to explain to Jeremiah what he's making. He just begins to make it. And again, I want to take this back to your life, to my life. The Bible says we are His workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. says we are, I am, you are God's workmanship. Yes, you have human parents and some of them did a lousy job raising you some of them did things they should never have done but there's still a potter and God it was never the potter's intention for that sin to have marred that vessel and the question is this year 2014 how yielded are you to the pot if God wants to remake you as it seems good to him. This is what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 9. Let me, let me turn there if you'll give me a second. He speaks of the same thing. Uh, basically, who is the, the clay to say to the potter, why did you make me this way? The, the potter is sovereign. He says in Romans 9, does not the potter have power over the clay from the same 
lump to make one vessel for honor and one for dishonor. Who, who is the clay? The clay can't say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Look, we have such limited vision. And I've really been toying with that, this idea, especially in Mary's life, as we are here just after Christmas. Mary, Jesus says, or God says, this is what I'm going to do in your life, Mary. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're 14, you're 15, you're going to give birth to a, to a child. He's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, what, what are you talking about, God? I mean, that, that's not like in my realm of understanding. How's that going to happen? And, and the angel explains the Spirit of God is going to come upon her. And she accepts it. She says, let it be to me according to your will. I came to that point in my life. You know, this may surprise you, but I want to be completely honest because maybe this will help some of you out there. I never wanted to be a pastor. And there's days I still don't want to be a pastor. But I know it's what God called me to do. I know it. And so you'll never hear me complain about it because I love doing it. And so I don't want you to misunderstand. What I want you to understand is that I am God's workmanship. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. And the happiest you will be and the most satisfied you will be when you are that vessel and you serve the purpose God made for you, not the purpose your parents designed for you. Listen, parents, your children are God's vessels and He's created them in a way that's unique and special for them. Don't try to pigeonhole your kids into being successful in the way you think they should be successful. There's nothing more frustrating for a child than to make them be what you want to be or make them be what the world says they should be or make them be whatever's going to make a lot of money. You, there's, just, there's just no there's no greater happiness in a person's life than, than, being, than yielding to God's hands. And then over time, you know, the Bible says God's begun a good work and he's going to bring it to completion. And so the spinning, the, the trials, the pressures in your life, those are not God trying to destroy you. Those are God trying to develop you as you yield to them and you accept those things that God has said and God is doing in your life, just like in Mary's life, just like in, my, just like in Paul's life. So he takes these vessels that are marred and he, he takes it and he jumbles it back down like Moses. Moses had it all. I mean, he was... He was in Pharaoh's house, greatest education, all the money he could need, food as much as he wanted. Man, he had the, he was living the dream, as you say. But he he knew he wasn't supposed to be there. He knew he was supposed to be with his people. And so what does he end up doing? God has him spinning around the desert for 40 years, tending another man's sheep. As God is take this man, he takes a man who thinks he's something, or is something in the world's eyes. And he breaks him down to make him nothing so that he can demonstrate to the world how God takes a nothing and makes it into something. And he gets the glory. And Paul said, we have this treasure, the gospel, God's, God's work, God's spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's me. So that the excellence of the power is of God and not of us. So when you see that pot, when you see that vessel, you don't go, 
wow, shame there's really no potter. That's amazing how that just happened that way. A miracle, it just kind of, it just poof, there it was. You look at that pot and you go, man, that is a skilled potter. And I want people to look at your life. And I want people to look at my life. And people that knew me, in college, I was marred. <laughs> in college, I was a mess. Until I got saved. Until you got saved. And God began squeeze. He broke me down. Breaks you down. So that He can begin building you in, in, into the vessel for His purposes. See, a lot of you are still holding on to your purposes. This is what I want to do in life. This is what it's about me. And the Bible says God works all things together for good for those that love Him and are called according to His. Because some of you, you're going through stuff. I don't see how God's going to use this for good. If you are about His purposes, you'll see. I guarantee it, you will see. The potter's wheel. Fantastic, isn't it? Well, let's go. Oh, boy, look how much time we. Let's go a little bit farther. So then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this pottery, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna. So are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So are you in my hand, United States of America. And I'm not going to go there, but I encourage you to read on. Well, let's, do, let's read the next part. And then we won't, I won't elaborate on it. You can think about it at home. We'll make a few applications and then we'll finish. Here's the problem, verse 7. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull it down, to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build it, to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I had said I would benefit it. So does God change? I always heard that God didn't change. No, God doesn't change. He's consistent in his response to human beings' response to him. Does that make sense? He says to a nation, he says to the United States of America, and again, a lot of times, beginning of the new year is a good time to look at prophecy. And we're looking at Isaiah and we're seeing the, the signs that are happening in our country. We're seeing a nation getting farther and farther and farther from God. And God says, here's how I am consistently. If I have planned good for a nation as he has for America, if that nation then stops obeying me, if they start to do evil, then I'm going to have to smush them so that I can rebuild them again. And if there's a nation that I've smushed, that I've planned to smush like Nineveh, book of Jonah, and yet they turn and they repent, then, then I won't have to smush them. I can build them. It's all, the potter is so gentle and he's so patient in his work. Look at verse 12. When, when God tells them, hey, turn from your ways, they said, ah, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. We're hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. They'd given up, just like some of you. 
My, my life is hopeless. My situation is hopeless. I have no chance of changing. I'll never be different. I'll always be the same. I'll never amount to anything. God can't use me. All of that is exactly what they're saying. It's lies. They say it's hopeless. For we are His workmanship, created or recreated in Christ Jesus for good works that He has ordained before the foundation of the world so that I could just do them, could just walk in them. The potter's house. I'm going to invite uh, Phil to come back up. And maybe you have a pottery-related song we could end with, Phil? I don't know. It's a lot of good pottery songs. What a great picture, isn't it? Go home. It's raining today. Get on YouTube. You, you do it anyway, right? And, and just type in potter's wheel or potter working at wheel, something like that. And just watch for five minutes a video of a potter working at a wheel. And then picture yourself as that clay vessel. And picture God as that potter. What is God doing in your life this year? What is he going to do with the revolutions of your days? Will you yield to him? It's daily. Will you yield to him? If every day is a revolution of that wheel, what's he doing today? Where's God squeezing you tomorrow? And will you yield? Will you give? Will you let God have his perfect way, his perfect work in your life? I hope so. Because Jesus didn't die so I could have a mediocre life. He died so I could have life and that more abundantly. And the secret is on the potter's wheel. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.